Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. Slightly late. No, no, no. I've just been blue. So it's my fault as well. I was just going to say I need a rest now. I've been up them stairs. I just want to thank you lovely people for being here. Thank you for being so faithful. Sorry, I am, I am not fit at all. I'm very grateful for you being here and I think you're wonderful. And um, uh, I'll be honest that when I start to think about speaking, I always think, well, what do people need to hear? And then you think, well, that's really not the point. You say what's in your heart. But after saying that, I'm aware that, you know, you've given a night and we want to make what we say count and we want it to be meaningful. And um, I must have chased 25 rabbits today, you know, all over the place, uh, thinking about things that, you know, stir me and things that I'm interested in particularly. Um, I like to look, look at the history of the Bible. I like to be able to say whether... You know, something that has been given me over the years has actually got a different meaning or um, could be, you know, interpreted in a different way. I love that sort of thing. But then I also recognise that it's not always necessary to know that because I think sometimes we can know a thing and does it actually make much difference um, to, to certain things in our lives? Um, we can bring some of that stuff if you ever want to pursue a particular thing will you tell us so like for instance I'm happy to speak on revelation and end time prophecy although I don't believe in much of it anymore but if you want to look at that sort of thing we'll happily do it Um, but what I don't want to do is bog us down with that stuff if it's not that important if you see what I mean although having said that it is interesting uh, to note at the minute and some of you might be connected with um, people uh, who might actually reinforce this but in America at the moment because of the uh, very staunch evangelical what they call the Christian right because they still heavily believe in end time prophecy and the second coming of Christ everything that's going on in Israel and Donald Trump and all of that it's making it rather scary. Not because necessarily it's what the Bible has said, but it's what people might make happen because they think that that's what the Bible has said. Now, think about that. So there are people getting potentially excited about a, a you know, third world war, and I'm thinking, well, no, please don't. Um, I was online with somebody and... Um, I just says, the only thing that will happen is not necessarily Jesus coming again. There'll be a lot of people die. And we don't want that, do we? Be honest. Um, 
can you just take the lid off that for me, please? Um, so sometimes we, it's interesting to look at this stuff because of what's happening in the rest of the world and how different people respond to different things. But anyway, what I felt that I wanted to do, um, we say on a Wednesday night that we're on a quest for an intelligent faith, which means that we have to look at things intelligently. And uh, I, I read a quote that said this, intelligence isn't knowing everything, but it's the ability to challenge everything you think you know. And uh, I'm, I'm 61 now. And uh, I know that over the last 17 years, particularly, and maybe going on 20, there's been a lot of things that I have challenged because I thought I knew, but, you know, there was another way of looking at it. And when Danny in the uh, What's On that was played on, on Sunday said, you know, Chris is going to be giving us a new perspective I thought, oh, am, am I? I've got to find one or whatever. But, um, you know, uh, what we are going to be doing is basically challenging what we think we know. And there might be things that I say tonight that challenge where you are. But I want to say this, that doesn't mean to say that you have to change what you think. And I want that to be very genuine as, as we are as a house, as we are as a church. Just because I might think a certain way doesn't mean to say you have to immediately go and change your mind about something. That's what, why we need the Holy Spirit within us. It's, it says that he will guide us into truth. And uh, I know for a very long time, my major problem was I just swallowed everything that I was told. And uh, once I started being more uh, my own person, in the sense of being willing to believe that I could hear for myself, that's when a lot of things change. Now, we've said many times that uh, Abraham had to leave his country, his people, and then his father's house. They were levels of influence. You know, country, it influences you, but not as much as your people, your culture. And then, of course, when it comes down to father's house, that's the biggie, isn't it? And uh, I know we all get worried if we're challenging things that are held by family. <laughs> it's always tough, isn't it? So, there were the three spheres of influence that Abraham had to, had to uh, leave. Now, you've gone the journey with us, and I'm, I'm so grateful that you've, you've done this. And um, it's brave to do, because you know that it's a bit like cutting the branch that you stood on in a tree. If that's been your life, your identity, and you saw that branch off, potentially the only way is down. But what came to me t today as I was thinking about this is that a bird doesn't worry about a, going out on a limb on a tree because it trusts its wings. And it really moved me as I was thinking about that because... Rather than putting faith now in a doctrine or in a, in a branch of a tree per se, we're actually putting faith in our wings. And uh, I believe that that might be a word uh, for somebody tonight. So um, now it's interesting that when I speak tonight, I want to almost have a, 
a disclaimer that says that what I say is not necessarily the view held <laughs> by, the, by others. So, you know, I'm on an aeroplane. He can't get me right now. But, you know, I, I don't always um, agree with him. It's, it's interesting. We've just had our 42nd wedding anniversary. And um, when we got married... Um, we were equally yoked. Now, for you guys, you'll understand what it means to, or should I say what is interpreted by being equally yoked, is that basically you should basically believe the same sort of things, be very much uh, connected um, in a unified understanding of things. And we were. We were clones. We were chipped out of the same rock. And uh, the, the thing is, now we're not. And um, I could quite easily say we're unequally yoked. But I think 42 years suggest that we're all right. So we're very different. He needs different things than I do, even in the context of understanding. Um, and it's often because uh, you think that you've been brought up the same. Now, what's, what's interesting, you know, we were both brought up in evangelical Pentecostal settings. We had very committed uh, parents to the church and yet we sit and talk about different things and I'll say, yes, but when, you know, I say X and do a word, give him a word and I'll say, I believe that that means that. He'll say, no, it doesn't mean that. And the reason is, is because our journeys were so different. So I had very much a lens of everything I looked through was very judgmental, it was very harsh, it was very strict. And uh, even though he was in the same environment, he had a totally different story. So you can imagine that his journey hasn't had to be as um, intense in the way that we have gone. And so we're incredibly different, see things uh, in a very different uh, way. Um, and, and I know it doesn't matter. This is the wonderful thing. It used to matter. And, and, and you'd fight yourself fighting. Well, no, because if we don't believe the right things, there's going to be a problem. When actually, you know you're okay. Because the way that I'm wired, I have an incredible connection with God, with the Christ, uh, and my, my journey is my journey, and uh, I am cared for in that, just as he is. And um, so what I felt that I needed to look at is, is a little bit of my journey and what uh, has, has sort of happened to me. Um, and I wanted to look at it in the context of Lazarus, because Lazarus is, you know, the story in uh, the Bible where... Lazarus, Jesus' friend, had died. And, uh, of course, the story goes that Jesus took his time about it and he didn't get to where, you know, they wanted him to be because they wanted Jesus to come and heal him before he died. And, of course, he arrived and, and he died. And um, it's not the story, per se, that I want to look at, but it was the fact that when Jesus then called him out... He, he comes out, but it says that he was still in his grave clothes. And um, that just moved me today because I'm thinking, yep, he was alive, but he was still in his grave clothes. 
And uh, you start to think, how did he get out? Did he, you know, did he come tottering out? Or what, did they carry him out? I don't, I don't know. But we do know that it was at that point when Jesus said, sort him out, unwrap him, get the grave uh, clothes off him. Now, the issue is that those grave clothes represented uh, a bondage to that body that they had to be got rid of. And while I believe categorically that I have come out of a, of a death, sometimes there's, there's much stuff still got to be unwrapped. So I don't know whether we're going to maybe call it Lazarus un, unwrapped or what. But um, when you've been entombed in a lot of religious beliefs, you must be called out and you've got to start to unwrap from those grave clothes. And it's interesting, Jesus said he's not dead, he's just asleep. And um, sometimes uh, people worry when we talk about the, the deconstruction of things. And sometimes it can be seen as very negative um, because it looks as though all you're doing is tearing down. Um, but it's, to me, it's not negative because I want those grave clothes off. I want them moving, I want them got rid of. And um, for me, it's about a newness of life. It's about modernising or expansion or being more useful or more practical or growing into things or more space or more room. And uh, I told you a few weeks ago that I've, uh, I had a project going on where I was two rooms upstairs, one is my craft and sewing room the other one is Anthony's office and um, uh, Connie and Riley have shared a room downstairs and of course as Riley's got bigger the bed's got bigger and you know you you, you spread to fill the space and we realized they needed sort of uh, uh, different rooms upstairs so I embarked on this massive uh, job and I'm not kidding you it has been huge and the stuff that I've had to pull out, look at, decide whether it has, you know, a value, <coughs> Excuse me. Um, where it's going to go, um, am I going to keep it? I've done that many trips to the charity shop. They've had a, a, a ball off me. I mean, they've had a great time. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a huge cost to this but it's going to be wonderful because what it's going to do is grow us it's you know it's, it's really worth while and the cost is there but it's going to be worthwhile so the question I sort of want to ask us all tonight and and eat like I say it'll be different from for all of us but this is me this is my story I wanted to ask what do we need to relinquish in order to realize this transformation so, okay, we're, we're, we're alive, we've, we're, or as Jesus said, he, he's only he's, he's asleep, but he's, he's alive. Um, but the bandage need to be got rid of, the need taking away. So I just put a little list of the things that I believe have been my bandages. Uh, one of them was my understanding of God. Another one was my understanding of creation and the creation story. Um, another one was my understanding of Christ. 
Another one was my understanding of Jesus. Now you might say, ah, but aren't they both one and the same? No, they're not. Um, Then I put my understanding of me, which was a big one. Then I went off on a bit of a tangent. My understanding of the world, sin and the devil. Um, My understanding, as I said a little while ago, about end time and prophecy and revelation. What does it all mean? And uh, you could then go on to say my understanding of the Bible. There are so many things that I can say There were bandages that needed to be taken off in order that I could have a transformation and totally see through a a different lens. So what I want to do, and I I might not be very long, it doesn't matter, I'm going to say what I have to say and that'll be the end of it. Just look at a few of these um, and then just put a little different uh, slant on it to where I am now and what what it's done for me. And uh, if you've got any questions at the end, please, you know, you can, you can ask them whether I can answer them or not. It doesn't matter, but we can give it a go. So my understanding of God. Well, I was brought up that, that God was very much an authoritative being, very much judge. And ultimately, uh, I was always under this watchful eye of judgment. And um, as time went on, I can honestly say that it did evolve. And, um, you know, it became more of a a loving father, which was absolutely wonderful. I was pleased about that because it felt as though the pressure was off just a little bit. But there was always seemed to be this small print that was was there that I didn't quite get or understand. I read just this week that um, how through, you know, as, as, as the understanding of um, the gospel has changed over the years, there became this incredible legal slant that was on it. It was very much uh, like a, a courtroom and a, a law situation where, you know, God was the judge and it was very much transactional like that. Um, but then this week I was pushed on a little bit more where it was talking about Jesus being the great physician, meaning rather than being a judge, it was, it was more of a picture of the doctor. And I thought, oh, well, that's a lovely picture because when you go into a doctor's surgery, you are not going to be judged. But there will be a prescription made for you in order to be healed. And I thought that's just a much nicer way of thinking about it. But for me, they still all fall a bit short. And um, because what's constantly in that, those sort of descriptions is this separateness. God out there, me here. And even in the context of God, the creator, it's God deciding to create things. But God's God you, you. And then, of course, the story goes on uh, in the, or has how we've been fed it in how we failed. And then you go through all the, the struggles of that to come to where you're meant to be, trying to get back to that, that place. Um, but you see, what has happened in, in, in my heart is that I've recognised that, that when, when God was creating me and when he was creating you, 
He wasn't doing separate stuff. He was actually expressing himself. And that has absolutely blown my mind. And some of you might struggle with this tonight. But he was actually finding a way of expressing who he is as spirit with everything. So as we're expressing ourselves as different, the diversity, um, the creation itself, the trees, the grass, the fields, everything is God expressing himself so it can be, be seen. And, and the whole idea, I mean, and again, I'm, I'm being brave to say what I feel. The whole idea of, you know, when we talk about evolution and the Big Bang and all this, that, that for years Christianity has said, oh no, keep, keep it separate, you know, evolution and science and all this, keep it se separate. You could say that even if there was a Big Bang, it was the first expression of God revealing himself. I mean, how incredible to think of it in those terms. But you see, we've thought, hang on a minute, no. When it comes to God revealed, it's purely just in Jesus. And that was it. It was a one-time thing. He revealed himself in Jesus, and that was sort of it. And we've talked about some of these things um, on Wednesday nights. But it's not like that at all. It was, it was this incredible being itself, consciousness itself, wanting to understand itself and spread itself through many diverse ways. And it, it actually blows your mind when you think of this uh, in itself. So spirit needs matter to reveal itself. And even quantum physics talks about this unified field that connects everything in creation. Because everything is oneness, pure consciousness, expressing itself in different forms at different times in our evolution. Now, that has been a big bandage for me because now as I go through life and as I look at you and as I look at things, I just see God everywhere. And it's changed everything for me. It's changed my whole being because I see God in all things. And the thing is, we're one with it. Now, the problem is we're one with it until we think that we're not. And that's, that's just the simple issue. We are one with it and we are it until we think that we're not. And when we lose sight of the oneness, we start creating a separate existence, a separate world, a, a separate me, a separate identity to the, the God expression that we all are. And so I would suggest that that is what would be the real meaning of sin? Because once we get the idea that I need to have a separate identity to being the expression of God in the earth, then I miss the mark because I lose sight of me and I lose sight of God in all things. Let me read this. Yeah, I think it's absolutely wonderful. All that is looked within, it imploded turning itself inside out. It vibrated the light of all creation. And like a kaleidoscope, it burst forth, revealing its intimate parts, each racing forth in joy and love, expressing themselves in the beautiful dance of life in the universe. 
the one became many, with each of God's many parts temporarily forgetting their identity as a whole, so each could then witness the beauty of God in its entirety. Whoa! Now, I don't know what that does for you, but it gives me a bigger picture. You've looked down a kaleidoscope, and every time you just move it very slightly, what happens? You get a different picture, and you think, whoa, oh, that was fantastic, and then it moves a bit. And then it moves again and it moves again. And you think you never have one ever the same. And it's absolutely fantastic. Now, there is no end to what I am can mean. Think about that. In the context of the picture I am giving you, and we know that God is known as I am, there is therefore no end to what I am can be. Now, I find that very, very powerful. And of course, I'm included in that because I am. (laughs) Did did you see how it's simple? In essence, it's making it huge, but then it's it's making it simple because I am. I am. So it sounds a bit out there, but how beautiful. Just have a think about that for a little while. So that's my different idea of God. Now, some people call that pantheism or panentheism. Don't worry about titles, because I promise I can drop that title tomorrow just as easy as I can pick it up today. Because it's not about getting stuck in in what we would call dogmas, but it's about constantly being open and listening to what is being spoken now, when all said and done, we, you know, we have we have looked at the Bible as though God spoke once and put it between two covers, and that was it. But God is talking and he's he's expressing and he's being constantly all of the time. And like I've said a few minutes ago, there is no end to what I am can mean. So there you go. We'll we'll move on a bit. So I also said then. That another one of the grave clothes that needed to come off was my understanding of Jesus. Now, again, we've been brave, and I know you guys are brave with me. Um, there's a scripture that, that says this. It's John 10, 9. It says, I am the door. By me, if any man enters in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Now, in itself... You know, you've got a few bits that have got to be, you know, you've got to put your question mark with it and say, hang on a minute, what's going on here? Um, Because the bit, he shall be saved and go in and out. Think about that. What do you mean you'll go in and out? We were taught you go in, the door gets shut behind you and that's it. You're more or less trapped for the rest of your life. No, it's go in and out and constantly finding pasture. That is awesome. Pasture is your, uh, what, your, what? Nourishment. Yeah, that's great. Or, or I was going to say portion. It's what, it's what you're going to get. It's what's there on the list for you. But the thing I wanted to look at was I am the door. Now, it really touched me uh, the other day as I was just thinking about this because I went to my front door. And I looked at it. 
And um, I just thought to myself, if somebody comes and knocks on my door, a friend or whatever, we do not stand at that door and talk about the door. We never stand and have a conversation about the door. Oh, you know, my door's black. You know, it's pretty nicely painted, although it's pretty dirty right now. And Or this, that and the other. Or we don't say, mine's wood. I would like a UPVC or what. You know what I'm saying? You do not have a conversation about the door. All the door is, is it facilitates an entry. It lets you in. And I, I just, oh, I want to scream and say, come on. All the door does is let you in. It facilitates an entry, but it also lets you out. And it lets you in. It lets you out. It lets you in. Because it's not meant to be a prison. It's meant to be something that that opens you into freedom. But you see, that scripture in itself has been one that was used very heavily to tribalize and very much make um, exclusive uh, a, a thing that we said, right, this is it. And unless you do this, you know, you're not included. And I find it really quite interesting that we've done a lot of that with scripture. And I remember, uh, oh, there was a, I was going to say something, I've just forgot. What was I going to say? Hmm. Oh, yeah, it becomes the go to verses. Um, yeah, I forgot the verse I was going to use. Is it in my notes here? Uh, hmm. Oh, no, it wasn't that. It, it was a different one, and I thought I'd put it down. But anyway, what basically this is saying is it's, a, it's, an, un, it's an understanding of through me, if you understand what I am about, you will be given entry to life in all its fullness, not you will enter into something that's restrictive and just very much tribal, but it'll be something that's, they'll, they'll open things up to you and you can go in and out and find pasture. Now, I believe that what we've learned to do is stop just talking about the door. We're saying, we've, we've got the door, thank you, we know what it does, and um, uh, I was listening to um, uh, Paul uh, Young, you know, the guy who wrote The Shack, and he was speaking about how, how we got lost worshipping a signpost because it pointed in a direction rather than uh, leaving the signpost and being willing to go where in the direction of the signpost. Um, and, and what, like I just said, what we tended to do was limit the presence of God to the one single presence of Jesus. And uh, although we said, yes, he's living in us, it was somehow hard to find and we could lose it so easily. And um, the, the, the idea that we've used a little bit on a Sunday is that we think we're just a drop in the ocean when we're actually the ocean in a drop. And it turns the thing all around on its head, which to me is incredibly exciting stuff. So... Um, this was it, yeah, the exit, this, uh, it's further down here. The other go-to verse is this, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you all know that we've always used this to categorically state 
about many of the religions that if they didn't say that Jesus was the way, then they're not in, right? And we're back to the door. They're not in because they haven't accepted Jesus as the way. And, um, you know, it, it, it's sad to say that there's a lot of other religions that, I mean, when we've gone over to India, it's amazing how people are still Hindus, but they want to believe in Jesus. And it's like, that's fine. You know, but it's funny that we have a, 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 this idea that you can only do one thing. Excuse me. Um, so I am the way, the truth and the life is not the one evangelical certainty of how to get to heaven. And um, that is a bit of a, whew, that was a bandage for me because that's what I'd believed all my life. But what I learned through even reading about how the, 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 the Jewish people understood what that meant. And of course, when we tend to look at scripture, we look at it through English, Western eyes, rather than through how it was in, in that time and place. And what came to my attention was the fact that the outer court of the temple was called the way, the inner court was called the truth, and the holy of holies was called the life. So when Jesus was saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he was saying, I am the temple. Think about it. That's amazing. He's saying, I'm the temple. Now, again, you've got to look at, well, then what does it mean to be the temple? And we can all say, oh, well, you know, the Bible tells us that you are temples of the Holy Spirit. But it's actually even more incredible than that because, you see, the temple was called in those days heaven and earth. So where the, the scriptures say heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will last forever, it's actually saying the temple will pass away. The temple is not going to be around forever. But my words, or me as a temple, will be. Right? Now you see the difference. Now, so if you put it like that, because the temple was called the heaven and, heaven and earth, what it's really saying was the temple was the place where the Jewish people believed that heaven and earth met. And when you went into the temple, that's where you were, you were in there and you were in the middle of heaven and earth in that sense. Uh, heaven touched earth and that's why it was called heaven and earth. Um, so what Jesus is basically saying is that I am, I'm introducing you. I'm the new temple. Now, are you the temple? We'll say, oh, well, no, I can understand Jesus saying he was, but are we? But yes, we are because of what we've said in the beginning, because heaven and earth meets me. And it's in, it, for me, it blows my mind because, it, like I say, it makes it wonderful that I just can't get away from this because when Jesus said that I am the way, the truth and the life, he was saying, I am now the temple that's joining heaven and earth. And he says to us, what are you? You're the temple that heaven and earth. I think that that is absolutely wonderful. He's saying, Jesus was introducing a new temple and he was saying, it's not made out of stone or by hands, but, but I'm, a, I'm a living temple. 
And um, what's interesting though, and, and like I've, I've used that to give you a greater insight into what it means, that people have grabbed those things and made them into rules and law that have excluded rather than saying, you're the temple. Do, do you see what I'm saying? I hope you are anyway. Now, we cling to these things and we have done because we've always wanted to be right. And it's about if we get it wrong, we're in trouble, so we better get it right. Um, but there's, there's also a, 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 an idea that we, we cling to things for security. But in the story, when Jesus rose, he, uh, there was a woman at the tomb and uh, he says something which is quite interesting. He says, don't touch me, don't cling to me. Don't cling to me is the word that's used. And yet, what seems to be what we've done is we've cling to these things rather than just letting it pass, I was going to say pass through as it sounds a bit ghosty that, doesn't it? Pass, pass through. But actually allowing them to just set us alive, to bring us alive and then allow us to go in and out and find pasture. Are you with me? Rather than clinging. So anyway, um, we tend to cling to stuff and what then we've got is something very tribal and uh, it falls far short of the real truth of it all. So we forget that we are now temples. Um, we are the way, the truth and the life because it's where spirit and matter meet. Uh, it's where heaven and earth meet. And if you don't remember anything tonight, that might be something for you to just remember. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And uh, I might get to it tonight if I have time. If, if I haven't, I won't. But the problem is because we're not aware or we don't believe it, because in our minds, we, we, where, that's where the struggle is. We forget that we're the temple, so we're always looking for some external thing rather than actually saying, I'm a temple. Smile. Do give me a smile. Great, okay. So the other thing, the other grave clothes uh, that had to come off was the understanding of the Christ. And I'm not going to say much, too much about this, but I do want to help because I know that for me, I have struggled a bit because we have... They've almost, the names have been synonymous. Is that the right word, synonymous? So when you said Jesus, you're talking about the Christ. And so it can be a little bit confusing. And also, uh, when we're talking about these things, um, I know some people have really struggled with uh, Richard Rowe's book, The Universal Christ. Because the moment you call it The Universal Christ, it immediately has a connotation of Christianity, when in fact it's it's it's... That's why it's universal. It's universal. So the, the point I want to try and get over to you is that, yes, Jesus was the Christ. And I know this has been said many times over the last few months. But the Christ wasn't just Jesus. And that is so important for us to get our head around. When we talk about the Gospel of John, when he talks about in the beginning was the Word, we were taught that that was Jesus, the Son, but in fact, it would be more correct to say it was the Christ because Christ was the, the, the Logos. He was the blueprint. He was the, uh, the, the raw material from which everything uh, was going to be made. Now, I, I, I don't want to freak you out, but think about it this way. Every religion has its Christ 
equivalent. Now, in, in Hinduism, it's the Atman. And then there's the Chi in something else. I don't, I think, I don't know which that is, I forgot. Or, of course, there's the Buddha. Now, of course, if you put Christ and Buddha in the same sentence, people start to get really weird. But actually, it's just talking about the, the, the inner power of spirit and matter coming together in beings. That's really all it's uh, trying to get across. And um, Christ is actually, an, it's not personal. You see, Jesus is personal, but Christ is impersonal. And Christ is in every living thing, but Christ was in Jesus when he was a person. And, and please try and get your head around that and think about it in those terms because what it does is again expand the understanding rather than reducing it all down so I wasn't going to say much much about this but we have tended to know Jesus without really knowing the Christ and this has produced something not so healthy um, and what we are trying to do at the minute is bring that shift back uh, and and bring that balance back. So the Christ is a cosmic and metaphysical reality before it's a religious one. And I love that. I'm thinking, yeah, we're talking about, that is whether you're in this religion or not, you ain't going to get rid of that, that fact. The Christ is, right? And then Jesus is the personal, the historic. Um, but what Christians have tended to do, and, and I'm said this wonderfully, said we called ourselves Christians, but we were really Jesians or Jesuits because the, the, the focus was on Jesus and that's sort of where it stopped and we never got into the universal uh, impersonal um, reality of the Christ which was um, you know very important anyway I read this this morning and, it, and it, I felt it was worth bringing to you Jesus is how we look at God through a microscope as he is the exact image of the father but Christ is the divine telescope. I like the way it's gone from small to, to big. Um, through which we can see reality beyond the limited and our bordered prejudicial walls of what we are able to understand. So the, the one is a microscope, the other is a telescope. And I thought that helps us a little bit in how we look. Now... This is how I want to put it then about my understanding of the Christ. When I am united with Christ, my ego, my, my flesh, whatever you want to call it, loses its illusion and perceives at last the truth. I have never lived outside the great all and I'm inseparable from it. It returns to its original condition, son and father united the soul is one with spirit, and when a person reaches this understanding, he no longer needs dogmas to cling to because the pennies dropped. At last, it understands the truth that when I am united with the understanding of the universal Christ and the fact that all creation is a manifestation of God, then we don't need dogmas to cling to. That might be helpful, there might be information that we can use but we don't have to cling to them. So a Christian should be simply one who sees the Christ everywhere. Simple. Now, it's simples, yeah. But 
not so easy to do. And that's the challenge, isn't it? All right. How are you doing? All right. Okay, so here's the question. What is the truth of your being? Now, I don't want to shock anybody, but I have to say this as he said it. Um, John Paul Young, who I was uh, listening to, who wrote The Shack, you know, the film. He says he was brought up um, with P-O-S-T. Um, or should, yeah, let me ch- put it this way. He was brought up on P-O-S-T, post. Uh, it sounds like a syndrome, doesn't it? But, and are you ready? I apologise, because I've got to use the word here, but it's what he said. And it was this, piece of shit theology. So I apologise, I don't want to offend you, but that's what P-O-S-T stands for. And that was how he was reared, on the theology that what he was is a piece of... Now, having said that, he qualified what he said because it's a word that's in Greek, scubula. So if you want to say a swear word without it being a swear word, scubula, there you go. A piece of scubula. I like that. It's fun. All right. I won't use it because I'll probably forget it by tomorrow anyway. But anyway, that's scubula. But listen to this. Calvin, and you'll have heard of John Calvin. He was the guy who basically invented from Scripture in his personal interpretation what's called the substitutional penal atonement theory, which in the West has been adopted as the interpretation of of Jesus, of God, of the Christ, etc., He put it slightly more politely, but not much. He said, we were manure covered by the snow of Christ. Yeah, I think I prefer POST really, because at least he says it as it is, trying to be very nice about it. But if you think about it, it's not good. It's horrible. I think what I said a bit earlier about the manifestation of of, of God... uh, being a kaleidoscope, revealing itself everywhere. You can't put that in the same breath as this, can you? It just doesn't seem to work. So the point is this. Even in the context of our old understanding, remember we're talking about the bandages as we've taken off. The bandage that I had to get rid of was this whole idea that I am still a piece of manure-covered but covered by the snow of white snow of Christ. Because ultimately, move the snow a little bit. I am still, have you got me? And you can use other phrases like, oh, you know, you're the cloaking device. Jesus is the cloaking device that God doesn't look at you anymore. He just looks at Jesus. Do you know, it all sounds very lovely. And we would go, hallelujah, that's great. It's horrible. It does not make me valued at all. Are you getting me? That bandage has come off. We're not having that no more because it's just horrible. Now here's why I said a few minutes ago that as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. If that's the truth of your being, that that's what you originate from, then everything that you do is going to just be a manifestation of that. And we wonder why we can never pull ourselves up, where we can never be anything, where we're always depressed or struggling or striving. It's because our, what, and it's, this is a lovely word, I learned this a while ago, ontology. The ontology, the very essence, nature of our beings is not manure 
or S-H-I-T, and I'm just trying to be nice for the tape. Um, we are not that. We have never been that. But somehow, in here, we got the idea, and religion hasn't helped with that at all. So anyway, moving on. So, we told then in Romans that we are to have our minds transformed. Now you can see why our minds need transforming. Because it's in the mind that we think <coughs> that it's what we are. It's not what we are, but our minds have taken it on themselves. Now I love the idea of mindfulness and it's something that we all ought to practice. But remember, years ago that would have been classed as new age uh, practices and keep away from it, it's not good. But it's good to be mindful. I think what we were taught instead was mindlessness because we, we refused to deal with the, the, the lies of our mind. So I want to look at this word transform just for a second um, because it's interesting because trans as a prefix means to cross. You go cross over and there's, oh, we could do a whole study on words that have got trans and it's wonderful to look at them. But this is where it's interesting. Form means the shape of things or bringing together things or it means to cross to another state or, or place. Um, but here's the thing. In Greek philosophy, which of course, when this is being written, Romans, Greek or Rome was the power and therefore, Greek philosophy was very much the, the, what they talked about. It, it was very uh, common to them. So they would understand that the word form was understood as, they listen to this, the essential nature of a species which real things imitate. Now, I've got to make sure you understand what I mean by real things. We're real things. This is real. But what they were saying was that which we are imitating was an, a, a species higher up the pecking order, i.e. the gods, um, that we were trying to imitate, but we never could because we are just matter and the gods are spirit. Now, we're coming back to temple. Can you feel it? We're coming back to the temple in a minute because in Greek philosophy, it would mean then that this flesh was only imitating something up there, which we could never achieve it. Therefore, that's why they had to find somewhere for this to go, because it wasn't any good. So you get the teaching of hell, you get the teaching of Dante's Inferno, you get all of that. There had to be somewhere for it to go, right? Um, but that was never the truth. And you see, Paul uh, had the revelation that it that this wasn't correct. It was just all in the mind. Um, so in our minds, we tell ourselves that we are manure covered with snow or the other thing. But the truth of our being, and this is what Paul was saying, no, you're in the image of God because matter and spirit have already come together. So rather than saying matter's got to be destroyed and your spirit can totter off to nice heaven, it's no, you're the temple. 
You've, you are okay. And that, you see, of course, why Paul was cutting across the Greek-Roman understanding. So, the truth of our being that we're made in the image of God. Now, I'm just going to say this for the sake of those who then say, and I mean, it's, it, it comes up, but what about those who don't like the idea of being made in the image of God? What, what, what about those who don't have like a Christian leaning or whatever, or a religious uh, leaning? And so I would put it this way, a higher consciousness is the essence of who we are. A higher consciousness. We come from something greater, right? And that's our essence too. We may call it presence, awareness, we can call it God, or the unconditioned consciousness. But in ancient times, it would be called the Christ within Oh, your Buddha nature. And I'm thinking, heck, Buddha nature. Here we go. Because what it's saying is matter and spirit have come together. So unless we allow this to be our truth, we will find that the mind will control. It will constantly tell us that we're the manure covered with the snow rather than saying, no, I am of a higher consciousness because I am now the temple, yeah, so I've become the snow rather than just covered by it. Okay, so so be transformed. Um, in Greek terms, it's sort of saying, stop letting your mind tell you that you are a copy when actually you're an original. Okay, so just one more and then I'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up. The other bandage that had to come off was the understanding of me. Now, I've covered that a little bit in talking about... Um, the idea of the what is the truth of my being. We've covered that a bit, but I just wanted to put a little extra bit here about um, the woman at the well. And it's, it's always moved me this because the woman at the well, she was convinced with all her religious trappings and all that was going on, how she'd been brought up. She was sort of convinced that if she found God, she'd be fine. And she sat at the well asking questions about doctrine. And she's saying, they say we should worship on this mountain or worship on that mountain. You can see how it's suddenly become uh, not about who I am. It's about dogmas and stuff again. And um, he, he, she's saying to herself and to this person who she didn't know at the time was, was Jesus, but she's saying, you know, if, if once I find that, my um, thirst will be quenched and um, I won't have to do this trip to the well anymore sort of thing that's what she's saying um, and of course Jesus talks to her and he, he talks about the water that I will give you if you if you take it you'll never thirst again I mean that in itself is fantastic because again another piece of grave clothes that's need to come off is the fact that you're always having to have more you're always having to go for more strive for more with a temple with a temple and um, he then basically say, says something to her and she gets up, she goes off and she tells the village everything that has happened to her. And uh, there's a line that says something about, come see a man who told me everything about me. Well, it, it, it doesn't say that at all, but you know we know that that's part of the story. So what did he address? And this is just my way of looking at it, that... Basically, he just knew her. He knew who she was. She didn't need approval of anybody. 
She didn't need a perfect relationship because obviously there was all the stuff in a, a, a background going on and, 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 and her life. Or to be uh, even sure and certain about rigid doctrines of this, that and the other. It wasn't a religious thing she had to sort out. Just as she was, what he knew, he loved and accepted. There was nothing she needed to do. And the most lovely thing about this story is in verse 28, it says, and leaving her water jar, she went. She'd come for water, but in the end she didn't get, she didn't fill it. Are you following the, the picture? She left it, which in, it, it, it implies that she'd had a drink and she, she didn't need to, to fill that but she went. You see what I'm saying? And so in my heart, I feel that that would be my story. I've left my water jar. I've no idea where it is. And I'm not going looking for it because I believe that some of the things I've said to you tonight are part of the quenching of the thirst. And um, when we are um, made whole, there's something about the, the... Maybe it's the life that we feel is not enough or we feel a bit ashamed of it or we feel a bit discontented or whatever. We're actually, we, we're told, forget it. It just doesn't matter anymore because the, whatever we are, we are known, we're approved of and we are just the, being the temple. And it's a, just a beautiful uh, thought about that. So our... Our thirstinesses are just daft attempts to solve a problem that doesn't need solving, really, um, except in our minds. Okay, so uh, just to, to wrap this up, because um, I could talk about my understanding of the Bible and, of, of like I said, the sin, the world, the devil, could go into that, uh, my understanding of revelations, but we maybe do that another time. But when you have, when you've taken off those bandages, you've got to be careful you just don't replace them with new ones. You know, there's a, there's a point that when you, um, if you're a, 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 a pilgrim or a, or a pioneer that went out looking for new lands, if they weren't careful, and I don't know whether any of you watched Jamestown, you know, the, the series that was talking about the first pilgrims that went over to Virginia and sort of, established um, the colony there, all that happened was everything that they left, they took with them and they just did the same stuff. So they took their religion, they were, they were supposedly running away from religious oppression, but the things that you watch, you've already got somebody who is using the Bible to punish, to, um, I mean, you know, there's an awful bit where the, this girl had, was... was um, branded on her face uh, for doing something pretty minor, but it was according to, the, to, to biblical law and this is how we've got to push evil out of the camp and all of that. So what I'm trying to say is that if we're not careful, we move into a new arena, but just basically build the same things that we did before. We've got to say if we're good, new land we don't build what we've had already. We want something new. And of course, that is always a, a huge uh, and, and 
hard thing to do because she's saying, yes, but, you know, the tri- I remember, you know, Albert always used to say, oh, the tried and tested ways. And I'm thinking, I don't like the tried and tested ways, you know, want something new. But anyway, so Anne said on uh, Sunday, was talking about creation groans, waiting for the manifested sons uh, of God. And so who are they? They're the I am's, they're the temples, uh, and they follow a voice, a living word. They, f- they follow a connection with, like I said at the beginning, that Christ raw material, the blueprint that has connected us all and that we all uh, represent because we're all manifestations of that. Um, and this is how I just want to finish it. All that God wants from you is the continual sharing of the I amness with his I amness. He just wants you to be the I am. And we could say that, and I would have done this if I talked about the devil and stuff, but if God is I am, then we must look at the opposite as the I am not. So when, if, if we want to say, uh, have a personified devil, we would have to say, he's I am not. And, and when we get to, I am not the temple, or I am not uh, a manifestation of God, that is where we could say that we have gone into sin. Oh, and I don't like talking like this, but you get me, because it's missing the mark of our understanding of the ontology of the nature of our being, which is only in the mind, and we can be transformed. Why? Because matter and spirit have already come together, and therefore we can be transformed we can cross over to the form because it's come together if you see what I mean so um, um, yeah so the I am not will continually accuse you day and night for not being different or more than you are Um, that's just the way it goes get rid of it you are the temple so I'm just going to Finished by quoting something of John Shelby Spong. And if you ever want to listen to somebody who's quite radical and got some incredible ideas, um, but definitely worth expanding your mind, is he says this, the task of the Christian church, and remember that's because we've got, we're calling it that now because we've put Christ in in, in the correct place there, is not to convert the world to some religious ideology, 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 yeah. The task is to free every person in this world to live more fully, to love more wastefully and have the courage to be all that they can be in the infinite variety of our humanity, which is a total expression of God in all things. I'm done. Hope that that was helpful. Hope it's encouraged you. Sometimes people will say to me, oh, it just doesn't seem very exciting. I I say, it's really exciting to me. I am so excited by it because I've realized that the grave clothes can come off and you can live. And it's wonderful. Um, And I mean, if if there's any questions, I will try, but we don't have to. Um, Otherwise, we can go and have an early night. No? Okay, well, that's it then. We're done. Thank you for listening and, and uh, putting up with me.
Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash QChurchYork. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.